0: Welcome back to the Cyclotips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is Monday, September 13th. We've got a larger crew than we've had for the last couple weeks, actually. Shoddy Dave, welcome.
1: Bloody hell, I'm going first today, Emma.
0: You're going first.
1: That's a novelty.
0: Abby Mickey just took a bite of something, so I'm going to introduce her next. How are you, Abby?
2: <laughs> that That's honestly just rude, but Okay. <laughs>
3: James Wong how are you Sleepy quite sleepy Me, me too Turns, out, me turns too. out having an older dog that occasionally needs to go out in the middle of the night Is not very good for sleep
0: Oh yeah For me
3: it was driving all the
0: way to Boulder and back For a wedding over the weekend mm. And then coming back and mm. yes, Also We're, tired We gotta get that Hyperloop I, going Gotta get the Hyperloop going And then I get to fly back to Boulder
4: tomorrow <laughs> Weird Dan Cash Yep. Hi. I'm sleepy as well. I don't usually feel comfortable saying that cuz I feel like I just get judged by James cuz James doesn't really sleep a lot. But he said it today, so now I can say it. James and I because we have children, uh
0: no one else is allowed to be sleepy. We are the only ones that know true sleepiness. That's
4: kind of how I feel about saying that, even though I am sleepy all the time, but I just don't I don't talk about it. I don't want to get That's the because eyes. that's because that's due to your own poor choices, Dane.
3: <laughs> I'm not saying anything. All right, let's <laughs> Let's get into
0: today's show. We've got a bunch of racing to talk about, in particular, within the context of the upcoming World Championships, which are kicking off this weekend. In fact, we've got the Elite Men's Time Trial on Sunday. So we'll be talking about that later because that will happen before our next episode. So we're going to talk about the Tour of Britain. We're going to talk about the European Championships. We're going to talk about Matthew Van der Poel coming back and getting another win. But before we do any of that... Shoddy Dave, what are we learning about Continental this week?
1: Cycling tips has long been part of the Team Tube Inside or oh, Team No Tube debate. But Continental makes one tire that throws a wrench into the conversation. Yep, that would be tubular tires. Where?
0: I think they have tubes inside.
1: <laughs> I don't know how and I don't know how this works. <laughs> You've never used come on, Abby. You must have used tubular tires before.
2: Y'all are like, cool. Let's make Abby write the ads, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what tires are. <laughs>
1: <Keep> <laughs> going, you've, done, you've, you've done a good job with this one, anyway. Abby reads lovely. Right, let me carry on. Stop interrupting us, folks. You ready? When the riders are hitting the climbs of La Tour, the crosswinds of Belgium, or the winding roads of Great, Great, Great Britain, they want tubulars that they can trust uphill and even more so downhill because we've seen when the tubular tyres aren't particularly too great or glued on downhills in the past, haven't we? Anyway, the Continental Competition is exactly that tyre. They are trusted by just a a few more than a handful of World Tour teams and even used uh, in secret by other teams too. Continental Competition tyres are handmade in Germany using a combination of black chilli compound and vectran puncture protection. The best thing about competition tires, or sorry, tubulars, uh, you can use them too. So if you're going the tubular route, think about picking up a set of con competition tubulars, be like the pros basically. eh?
0: Thank you Continental for sponsoring today's
1: I'm
2: episode. so confused. I'm so confused. Tubular tires are the ones that are round all the way around and then you glue them on the rim. Correct.
3: Correct. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But, how but, do you get ha- the tube but, inside? But they have a tube inside. It's stitched inside the casing. Yep. Okay.
2: I, I don't know if that counts, though, as tube inside. Oh, there, it does.
3: Well, well, there is a tube inside, isn't there not? There is a tube inside, literally.
1: I yeah, tell you what, we, but, we need to get to the, the cunty factory and show people how they're made. Show happy how, how they made. We've been saying
2: that for a really long time now. Can, can we please at least
3: just get these damn team tube inside or team tubeless t-shirts made? We've been asking for this. We've been asking for these for months. Like, it has been months, maybe even more than a year. Andy, get on it. Andy, get on it. Yeah.
2: What about Team I Don't Care?
0: That is also a valid (laughs) position, Abby.
1: Uh, I don't know. It's not tube agnostic. It's not as catchy
0: in a t shirt, though. (laughs) Team tube agnostic is Abby, and probably a lot of other people out there. uh, The more we talk about this. Let's get into the bike racing. We've got a whole bunch to talk about, and then I forgot to mention earlier our nerd nugget for today. We're gonna be talking about 105 Di2, James. I think that's a, that's pretty. It's an intriguing prospect, but that's at the end of the show. Let's start with the European Championships, Dane.
4: I'm gonna throw to you. Give me the uh, give me the headlines. Well, I feel like the first thing we should say before we talk about anything really. European Championships or the other racing that's been going on, is that Worlds is coming up. So everything I think we're talking about, right, now, we're, we're thinking about right now, is kind of in the context of what does this mean for Worlds? Um, not that Euro Championships and Tour of Britain and the Antwerp Port Epic aren't, you know, nice results in and the, of themselves, but we're really looking at what's, you know, what's coming up and, and yeah, who's going to be good in the Flanders Worlds. So on the topic of the Euros, Abby, who won the women's TT?
2: Marlon Rusa won the women's TT, which is a pretty good uh, indication of how Worlds might go. She's absolutely flying right now. She won a stage of the Sarah Tisit Challenge by La Vuelta and was in the leader's jersey for quite some time. And so I think her winning at the Europeans was, was a pretty good, you know, pretty good prelim to the Worlds.
4: On the men's side, Stefan Kung won the TT, which, good for him. Uh, and he beat—this is his second win in a row—he uh, beat uh, Philip Ghana, And that, I, I think, is something that surprised some people. Uh, so good for Stefan Kung, kind of joining the, the top tier here. I think two back-to-back Euro titles is pretty good uh, sign of his strength. Uh, road race, that was a pretty nice result for the women's winner. It uh, looks kind of lo- long-awaited. She doesn't always win— the biggest races a lot of times comes in second or third, Abby.
2: Yeah. Ellen Van Dyke won the road race, which was really her, her performance was really impressive. She was solo for I think 60 K or off the front for 60 K at one point she did have, have a buddy with her, but she left her behind and rode solo to the finish. It was a combination of her just being really strong. Also she was out for a lot of the spring with COVID. So Really awesome to see her and and also her teammate, Chloe Hosking, who both suffered from COVID, you know, coming back later in the season. Her strength and also the the confusion or, like, just miscommunication or whatever was going on behind her. The The group behind her was full of some really strong women. Kashni Odoma, Demi Vollering, Marta Cavalli, uh, Marlon Russo were all in that group behind her, and they just kind of couldn't get organized. They were all looking at each other, so it really... Helped with Ellen Van Dyke's win, but overall it was a it was an interesting race. It was another another women's race that was made you kind of scratch your head. But it was really nice to see Ellen Van Dyke win. It's her first road road European title. She's won the TT title six six times, maybe almost every single year since the European started.
4: Uh, men's side: Remco Evenepoel put in a big attack late, and uh, Sonny Colbrelli and Benoit Cosnefroy jumped on his wheel. Both riders, uh, Colbrelli and Kossoffal, have had a great kind of second halves of their seasons. Kossoffal won the Breton Classic. Uh, Colbrelli just won the Benelux Tour, which we talked about uh, last time I was on the podcast, how we're kind of looking towards worlds for some of the riders there. Uh, Those guys got away. Kossoffal got dropped, but then Evenepo could not drop Colbrelli, which was not a very good sign because Colbrelli is much faster in the finish and uh, no no surprise uh, in the finishing straight. He commandingly took the, took the victory there, much to Evanopol's chagrin. So Cobrelli's now won the Benelux Tour and he's won the Euro title with Worlds looming on terrain that should favor his kind of very versatile skill set. He's got a, that fast finish. Uh, Evenepoel looks good, so, you know, got to give him some credit. But Cobrelli really having a great few weeks here, and uh, he's got to be pretty happy with Worlds coming up. So two thoughts. I think has said, he said
0: outright that he's working for Art at Worlds, right? That's that's sort of the plan. Uh, and the second thing was, did he kind of screw that one up? I mean, I guess he kind of played the cards that he had, right? He, he threw in a big attack. He tried. But man, like coming into a finish with Cabrelli on your wheel, I think I would just, you you'd have to play some cat and mouse. You got to like try something. Because if you just keep your head down and pull what exactly what happened is going to happen because he's going to blast past you in the finish straight and there's just absolutely no way that eventable ever wins that sprint so you think that he would you think he'd try something else uh he basically just you know just put the gas down as hard as he possibly could in that final climb and if he didn't get rid of everybody he was not going to win that bike race
4: yeah I have a hard time really com- not, not that he just necessarily did everything correctly, but I don't really know what else he could have done differently. That would have worked because Cobrelli is a very fast finisher. He's won real sprints and Evan for all of his talent is, is not that. So I, I really don't know how he was going to win with Cobrelli still on his wheel late in that race. Yeah. Kind of rocking a hard place, right? Like
0: he knew he was going to lose that sprint. He knew it. So he's, he's riding into second place and, and he, and he knows that, which is, uh, you know, he, when he banged on his bars, right? Like, he can't be that disappointed when he probably knew he probably knew you know well out from the finish line that that was going to really be the result. Uh and if he wanted a different result it would have required well probably sitting up entirely, waiting for a larger group to make the tactics a bit more complicated, not just a mono a mono sprint into the finish line and then maybe go again or something like that. But that was really kind of the only option I think that he had in front of him. Regardless uh, like I said, I don't really know if it was an, an actual screw-up or just didn't really have any options, but it certainly, well, it should make the Belgians pretty happy ahead of Worlds here uh, because if he's the domestique, that's a pretty darn good sign for that team.
1: I think anybody on the Belgian squad as a domestique generally a good sign, though, is it?
0: <laughs> that's very true. That is very true. Yep, and we'll get into more. So I should I should mention, so we're going to talk about the Worlds TT today. But the uh, the road races are all happening the following weekend. They're a full week apart this year. So we will talk about those on the podcast next week. Let's get into, let's get into the Tour of Britain and another Belgian. Uh, and the most heartwarming story of the last week in bicycle racing. We'll start with the winners and how that went down. Dane?
4: Yeah, uh... Wad van Aert took the win on the final day. He was close throughout the race, kept it close uh, with Ethan Hayter, who wore the jersey there for several days. Uh, get to Hader in a second, by the way. A heck of a race. Uh, but Wad van Aert, in the final day of the race, not that far behind on, on the GC, he won the final stage, and the bonus seconds propelled him to the overall win. And thus, he has taken a nice stage race win here with Worlds Looming, and he also won one, two, three, four stages over the course of the race, of the course of the Tour of Britain. So, obviously, he had a really strong Tour of Britain, and it was a quite a start list. So, to me, he has shown that he is... Uh, to, to be in that... Uh, to, to finish that strongly in a, in a race with this good of a start list, uh, you know, Julian Philippe was there, Michael Woods, uh, a lot of riders that you really want to be beating at this time, if you are hoping to do well at Worlds, and he did. Uh, so, heck of a race from Watt van Art and showing that he's in good form for a Worlds that... I think should suit him better than anybody else. He's currently the bookie's favorite to win the world championships. Understandably so. Um, yeah. So good for Art. Uh Ethan Hader, I mentioned had a heck of a race and uh, yeah, uh, he's had a, a great season all around uh, a rider that I think the Ineos Grenadiers have to be really happy. Uh, that's riding. Their, he's riding for their team, just 22 years old. Um, I, th- I think he turns 23 this week, but still quite young. Yeah, finished second overall. Tour of Britain won two stages there. He had just won the tour of Norway in August. Um yeah, I think they've got a really bright young talent with uh with Ethan Hayter. He's pretty versatile and uh somebody that you really want to have on, on your team.
1: I've i I've got to say, though, the tour of Britain, like as a not just as a build up for the world, they really do put on a good show. Like it's had a year out. They've they've brought it back just as good as ever. I was slightly worried that it was gonna um get pushed to the side, but it's just as good as ever. And the field's ridiculously strong. I remember turning up probably 10 years ago and you had a few big teams there, but there was a lot of domestic British teams, a lot of uh, what was, I suppose, pro-conti teams turning up. The field just gets better and better every year. And yeah, they, they do make Britain look, well, superb.
4: Talking about putting on a show, I think before we get to the heartwarming moment, for me, the the most interesting moment of the of the race uh, happened during stage. I think it was stage six. Mark Cavendish got into the break, which is something that he doesn't always always do. Um, he was up in the break, got uh, with with teammate Tim de There was a rider in the break who was kind of up there on GC, and that was making the the peloton want to chase them down. So they tried to get rid of that guy, uh, um, and they did. They managed to drop him. Tim de kind of forced a split, and so Mark Donovan, the, the rider. Uh, got dropped and, and Cavendish also was back with Donovan and, a, and another rider or two chasing. Uh, and then Cavendish and I think it was George Bennett bridged back up to the break, leaving Donovan and one other rider chasing. So the the break is trying to get rid of Mark Donovan so that the peloton has less impetus to chase. I hope I've explained this without being too confusing. Uh, and Cavendish decided that there was a little bit too much help from uh, coming from the race moto, uh, from that, sorry, from the television moto, uh, for Donovan and the other chasing rider. He was displeased. I guess he felt that the TV moto was giving them a little bit too much slipstream. And so he started shouting at the TV moto. And because it was the TV moto, we got to hear everything that he said, which was awesome, uh, because he was shouting and it was just getting broadcast to the world. So he was very unhappy. uh, And he, yeah, first he was shouting at the moto and he said, uh, he said, you're helping them. What's wrong with you? And then a minute later or so, the, the moto pulled up closer and he, like he kind of dropped back and a little bit more calmly and, and more clearly said, uh, for all you people at home, these motorbikes have a bearing on the race. And he just said that into the camera in the middle of the race. Like he was he was kind of pontificating on this on this topic <laughs> while racing the Tour of Britain in the in the breakaway. It was fantastic. And I was very impressed with his presence of mind and his uh, media savvy to know that what he was saying was going to get broadcast to the world. And it was made for a great video. Uh, so you should check that out if you haven't seen that. He's gunning
0: for Adam Blythe's moto job. That's what he wants. He's he's just, he's just already ready for it. The mid-race commentary. Yeah. I feel like getting more mid-race commentary from bike races would be great, right? Like, you know, just go up and talk to riders. In the, like, in the middle of a Tour de France stage when nothing's going on, and then they're just hanging out in the peloton, you know, some dude back getting bottles,
4: ask him how he's doing, ask him what's going on. That'd I be, think that'd be th- fantastic. This really showed us the potential. I mean, it, it looks so easy for him to do that, and I'm, I'm now I'm thinking like, yeah, that'd be great. Every day we get a, get some opinion from somebody in the brain. Hey, how hard is it out there? Or, You know, it just it'd be great. And Cavendish did it without any problems. So get good on Cavendish. At the very least, I think we sh- we should have access to all the race
0: radio. That's what I think. You know, like F1 does a good job of that, where you know you don't hear every single transmission, but they pull the interesting ones and they broadcast them because they provide context in the bicycle race and i 100% think that that should be the case.
1: They should be allowed to tiktok or tweet from that middle of the peloton, shouldn't they? But because of a certain Mr. Mario Cipollini, no one's allowed telephones in the peloton anymore are they? I
0: was going to say who was it a couple of years ago? It was um it was Paulini. Paulini got fined for having his phone with him. I think it was in a Tour de France stage. I'm trying to, I'm just vaguely remembering this story now, but yeah, he he had his phone and Like had pulled it out and got some sort of UCI fine in the middle of the Tour de France for I don't know, tweeting or
3: something in the middle of
0: the bicycle race. I don't forget what he was doing.
3: But I bet that Instagram live feed was awesome.
0: (laughs) What if we just gave What if we just gave Tom's his phone, Abby, and we just called him in the middle of the race and we and we put that in the podcast every day. What
3: do you think?
2: Um, it might be hard to hear it over the sounds of the peloton, but just get him a good
3: mic. We'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. it, we'll cover I is feel fine.
2: Like, it de- depends what time of the race, you know, he probably wouldn't answer if it was like the first 50k or the last 30k. <laughs> no, there's like a window where we'd be able to do that.
0: That still leaves us like 100k to, to chat with Toms every day. Men's races
2: yeah. are too long. They're too long.: Hey guys, it's Still pedaling.
3: I'm still pedaling. <laughs> still
0: pedaling Still pedaling. Kind of hurts, I love hurt. it though.
2: You could, he could put find my friends on and I could just follow, follow him literally. I could just right? follow him, be like, Oh, he's there.
0: What if we did that with the entire Peloton? If we just said, All right, entire Peloton, everyone has to turn find your friends on and we'll just follow you that way and we'll have we would we'll actually have our own know live GPS. Was of which. Yeah, we know who's in the moves, we'd know everything. That's all we need. Yeah, we've solved
3: it.
4: Would it be the we've sort of thing though?
3: Would it be the sort of thing though where like someone forgets to turn their mic off and they
4: have to like go poop? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> GP Quebec and Montreal a couple of years ago did this thing where they had a like a live map. It was like watching Mario Kart like from the you know the mini-map, and you could watch everybody go around. And I think the execution wasn't great, and the broadcast wasn't great, but it was really cool. So it'd be cool if they could bring that back, particularly for a circuit race, where that is actually kind of handy. And you can see, like, oh, so-and-so is here, and then so-and-so is there. It was like one of the first stories I wrote for cycling tips all those years ago, and uh, I do hope that one day we could see that again. I,
0: I mean, they've tried this, right? Because they all have those transponders on their bikes now, and I feel like on occasion over the broadcast in the last couple of years, they have made an attempt to like show where people are in breakaways and things like that. But I don't know whether it's the the, the GPS data has a lag, or or you know, riders change bikes and stuff, right? Like that does kind of mess things up sometimes. But it didn't. Yeah, it, it wasn't particularly accurate, and so it wasn't particularly useful. Because if it's not accurate, it's just it's just noise, right? It's just it's just confusing the audience. It needs to actually show what's actually happening. Uh, so maybe they need to like have somebody there, sort of actually matching it up to to real events and making sure that it, that it is accurate. But it was cool nonetheless, and I think it's it's there's small things that could that could happen in the cycling broadcast that could make it more interesting. I think and. You know, there was there was discussion a couple years ago of, of you know, oh, we're going to get power data and we're going to get all these other things. and It's going to it's going to revolutionize the broadcast. And I, realistically, I don't think that they've found a good way to do that. I don't think that seeing the number 409 watts really means anything to anybody. Uh, but I think that the race radio might be more informative. Sometimes. Most of the time the race radio is not particularly informative, but you could you could have somebody who's listening to all of them and pulling out the interesting bits, right?
2: Instead if they did like how many how many cookies they're earning per hour, that would be something that would everyone could relate to that.
0: Or if everybody had to put in like their own threshold. You wouldn't no, have to have even have the whole number. Lame. You wouldn't no but you wouldn't have to have the number, right? It would just be like a like a like a speedometer of pain right and like oh that dude is over that dude is over his limit right now i can see that like that's what i want to know i don't really care like 409 i don't know if it's 409 for for nairo kantana that's probably like well above the max for him because he doesn't weigh anything if it's 409 for tim de he could do 409 watts for like five hours so i don't i need i need the context that's the problem
2: but then that kind of gets in that would affect like the actual racing because like the directors watching the car could be saying to their riders up front oh this person is actually suffering they're not just pretending to be cool and calm and collected they're they're suffering
4: that just brings cycling into the 21st century with every other sport where you know somebody in the front office can be watching the the uh, baseball broadcast and you know steal signs not really not really supposed to do that but yeah it's totally doable <laughs> or you know watch the nfl and the guys have to hold the card up to their face so people watching at home don't decipher what they're saying and then relay it to the coach on the field so it's just it's just the 21st century you get cycling can deal with it yep i agree it would be fine
1: as for they're the radio with
4: their power numbers
1: as for the radio the tour did allow people to tune into race radio this year didn't they for the first time
0: yeah they which was exa- super cool
1: they didn't exactly make it easy or like too blatant on the website you had to go searching for it digging for it but they did allow it
0: it like join their club or something and it it for me it didn't work about half the time and like i said that and the problem is you don't need most of that that radio right because it's it's said pk sitting in the car going rider 112 has fallen down or somebody's taking a piss or whatever like it's not interesting it's not interesting things but if you specifically, I would want not the not the said PK radio, but the the director's radio, right? Like I want what the directors are saying, what the riders are saying, you know, if if you you always we see them grab their microphones and yell into them at some point, right? The riders I'm talking about, get me that audio. Why can't I have that audio? I want to know what he's yelling at his teammate. And yeah, you can run it, you can run it a minute and a half later at, at that point, the tactics are such that it's probably not relevant anymore. But it would be really cool, I think. Anyway, we've gone off topic here. We've gone off topic. The last little thing we've got to talk about from the Tour of Britain was just about the most adorable moment of professional road cycling I've seen in quite some time. Shoddy, what happened?
1: A young lad, Xander Graham, they basically attacked the breakaway, didn't he? He did a sterling job for about 50 seconds, He was uh, on the pavement, off the pavement, on the pavement, jumping up and down the curbs, Just a a hair's breath in front of the peloton, making it look good. Then, obviously, his his little legs had had enough, and the guys caught him up. But that's one point they were pulling away from him. It was absolutely superb to watch. Then, just as the group passed him, uh, uh, Jumbo Visma rider Pascal Elkenhorn, is that how I pronounce his name? I do wish Joe Say was here. She'd put me right, wouldn't she? Passed him the bottle. Passed him. You could see him anticipating the movie. He downed the bottle a good couple of seconds before handing it to him. And you could see in the back of his mind, right, I'm going to hand this young lad this bottle. It was awesome. Best thing I've seen at a bike race in a long, long time. And he didn't even get fined for uh, handing out the bottle in an inappropriate <laughs> place, did he?
3: I think it would have been even better if Xander just countered again right then and there, like "Oh, cool, I got my <laughs> bottle," and then just, and then it just took off.
1: I'm just disappointed that I've been on Pro Cycling Stats today looking for him, and they've not even got him uh, listed on there yet.
0: Oh, it was yeah, it was such a great moment, and it was and it was a perfect example of why that rule about like chucking bottles off to the side and Rogers getting fined for that or disqualified for that even. Why that was so absurd, right? Like this was just, it was just a, it was that this is what makes professional cycling amazing is the fact that this kid could literally just ride up the sidewalk (laughs) at full blast up this hill, you know, and the, and the riders are, they're going pretty good. They're, they're not, they're not full blast at that moment, but they're going pretty good. And this little 12 year old kid, Xander, just
3: cruising out in front of them. I loved it. And then they had him in the team presentation the next morning, too.
2: Yeah, that was the yeah. best part. They had him all kitted up, and he got to stand stand there in the team presentation. He, that was the cutest picture I've ever seen, ever.
0: Kudos to the Yumbo uh, like comms team. Because they grabbed onto this and they they milked it for everything it was possibly worth. I think it's probably Ard Bearens out there, a press officer. I don't know who exactly would have been responsible for that. But yeah, they they saw this moment and they said, We can we can make this moment even more special. And they did. I love it. Like, you know, yes, milk it. It's great. The kid, the kid's gonna have a story for the rest of his life. Who knows? You always see you always see the photos of professional cyclists like meeting. The previous generation of professional cyclists at some point right like there's you know there's there's photos of like little wild fun art like meeting sven nice or whatever and uh, i who knows maybe xander maybe xander is going to end up riding for Ineos 10 years time when he's 22 years old and now he's got this great image maybe pascal icon will will still be in the peloton they could be racing each other in 10 years time
1: not i just, just loved it not just that like that would have been on TV in the UK. I bet it's been like the last bit of the news. Like, and in, instead of like cat finds looks after mouse or something, it's this is the this is the this is what they've had at the end of the news. I bet in the UK, and I bet there's other kids out there going, "Oh, that's that's awesome!" And like next year they'll be stood at the roadside watching it, seeing what cycling's all about. So you don't know how much it's inspired other other people. I got to admit, this morning when I read. Uh, Ian's article that he posted on there and sort the of photos. Got a bit of a lump in my throat to me. Eye. I was like, this is awesome.
0: Love it. Yeah, so if, you, if you've if you missed that you want to go find the video, we do have a story up on cyclingtips.com. Great website. By none other than Ian Trelor and Ian put together. Well, with, we got the video up there and an explanation of everything that happened. So go check that out. Now we've got a couple more little racing bits to get through before we get into 105DI2. Matthew Vanderpoel took a victory. Now, not exactly the most high-profile event uh, to take a victory at. It was the Antwerp Port Epic, and he he beat Taco Vanderhorn by one second. Came in about a minute 14 ahead of a select sprinters group led by Tim Merlier. But still, good to see that he is back, that he's back on some form. He's had all those back issues Ever since the crash at the Olympics, which everybody will remember, good to see him back winning a bike race just in time ahead of Worlds. Who has thoughts?
2: I don't know if that necessarily means that he's going to podium, but definitely good to see him back.
4: Yeah, it's tough to say because, you know, fully healthy, he would be right up there with Waffenart as one of the top favorites. I'd probably be right there vying for top favorite status and it's just really hard to say how healthy he is and how well his back's gonna be able to hold up over a world championships length and kind of caliber race but a week ago things were looking pretty dire for his chances of starting at all uh it's that's still not confirmed by the way we still don't know for certain that he's gonna race worlds in roubaix i think he said it's better than 50 50 chance but uh at, you know we'll see but it's definitely a, a really strong sign for him that he's able to not just race, but also win a race. Uh, and, and, and that's only two weeks out from the, the road race.
2: Do you think if he doesn't, if he knows he doesn't have a shot, he won't race?
0: I don't know about that. I, I, I think, I think if you want to race over the weekend, you have a shot now, right? Like you, you wouldn't do that unless he was, you know, 95% plus Taco of Vanderhorn, has won his share of bike races he's a pretty good pretty good bike racer tim Murlier right behind right like yes it wasn't a massive race that he won but it was still you know still pretty solid fields i i think he doesn't come in as a hot favorite but he comes in with a chance certainly uh you know i would say that the chances of him flying off the front solo and winning this thing in spectacular fashion are probably quite low but he's got a pretty decent kick and and you never know. I mean, small group, pole uh, I'm, I'm still not going to count that out.
1: That mm-hmm. race is 90K short than what the world is like. And if he has got a bad back, 90K does make a huge amount of difference. But on the flip side of that, there's plenty. There's cobbles, there's gravel on this race as well. So it's, it's certainly not a, a walk in the park to win that, that race this weekend.
0: Correct.
2: Yeah, that course would have been absolutely brutal for someone who's just coming back from a back
1: injury. And with it being called the Port Tour, it's along the, the coast, so it's going to have been windy as heck up, up that part of the world.
4: Just to give people a sense of uh, how hyped the cycling world gets about Mathieu Vanderpool, der uh, the, the day after the weekend that he actually won a bike race after two months away from road racing, his world's odds have shortened to 5-1. to one. He's now the second favorite for Worlds behind Wout van Arndt, which is shocking because he barely raced at all. Uh, but that's how excited people get about Mathieu Vanderpool. So maybe he will win Worlds.
0: Because every time anybody has ever counted him out, he comes back and wins like a week later. So I think that that's probably warranted.
2: I find the Matthew Vanderpool versus Wild Van discussion more interesting than Tubes Inside or No Tubes.
0: Now that's just heresy. I, like, I if you could choose
2: yeah. one of them, which one would you choose? Like, to be on a team. I mean, as a team, as a rider. It tubes, seems like a no brainer. Tubes interview. versus Matthew tubes. Vanderpool?
4: To be on a team, yeah, that's exactly. Tube,
0: I what would I want thinking. tubes, yeah. I mean, without tube, without some sort of tubes, like you're not getting anywhere, right? You're just riding around on rims at that point.
1: <laughs> but Vanderpoel still win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if I had to pick Wouter or Matthew Vanderpool to be on my team, yeah. What's the race? What race are we doing?
2: Just, just on your team.
4: Oh, just Haley. There. I would, I would. Contend, I would pick venar for almost any race, actually same Unless I would always like pick van art. always i don't know if I would
2: well, that's your prerogative <laughs> <Is> <laughs> why would you pick ven
0: I mean uh, Van art had the better summer, but see this is I feel like in this duel we have very we have little goldfish memories, right because they go back and forth so often but there have been times in the last two years where you're like oh van Der is much better right and he, he will he'll win a couple times over Van Aert and then it flips right and it's no 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 surprise at all that that van Der had a bad summer because he raced the Olympics and crashed and then didn't race again for like two months I think my I think your little goldfish memories are, are skewing you towards Walt Van Art because he did such amazing things at the Tour de France right three, okay, state, okay. three well, different keep, stages
2: keep trying to talk yourself into it
0: I'm t- I'm just to be different. I would take Matthew Vanderpoel on my team. All
2: right.
1: Yeah. Can can we throw Guillaume Martin into this conversation? <laughs> you
2: can have him. That's yeah. That's All fine. Right, in
4: a in a bunch sprint, who do you take, Dave? Guillaume Martin or Wapner?
1: Fair point. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> on Mont two, who do you take?
1: Oh, <laughs> oh, and that that's again not not an easy one to choose, is it? <laughs> That this is, is why I take Van Art. Low blow, Kaylee.
2: <laughs> low blow.
0: I see, I see, I think I think Van Der Poel is still like spread amongst disciplines more than Van Art is. And so I think that once if he fully focuses on Road, I think he would be just as just as capable of doing such things.
2: But I don't think he will, and that's what makes him so exciting.
0: Yeah. But like think back to that that Amstel Goldwin, right? That crazy Amstel like Van Art has done some amazing things. But I don't think I've ever seen him do anything like that, where he literally pulled a group of like five riders for ten k, and then won a sprint. Like I've never seen that from him. That is a very specific type of dominance, right? True. Mm. Sure, sure. We might have to dedicate an entire episode to this at some point. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe with a little bit of forethought and like planning <laughs> coming into it, as opposed to Abby just chucking, chucking question bombs out into the podcast. All You're right. Welcome. I appreciate it. It's great. Let's get to the World Championships. Start this weekend. This is our last little bit of racing today. Now, the time trial, the Elite Men's Time Trial is on Sunday, and the Elite Women's Time Trial is on Monday. So both of those things will happen before we record next. Well, the women's, I guess, will be happening right as we record next. And then throughout the week, there's, you know, juniors and U- U23s and lots of other stuff happening. Team uh, relay. and then And the Team Relay. And then the following weekend is the Elite Road Races. And so, as I said before, we will be talking about the Elite Road Races next week, doing some preview there, talking about the course and things like that, course and favorites, etc. Let's talk time trial right now. Who can tell me about the TT course? Let's just, chronological order, men go first this weekend.
4: So, Dane, tell me about the men's TT course this weekend. Uh, it is flat. They are riding from Haste into Bruges. And there is nearly a climb on the profile. If you look at the profile, you're looking at a line that hovers between one meter above sea level Ooh. and four meters above sea level, oh. and that is about the extent uh, over the course of the 43.3 kilometers of the race. So it's a very flat TT, and it will well, it'll be it'll be taking place along you know coastal roads. So there could be there, there could be weather. There is always weather, I guess. There could be some inclement weather. Uh, but I think it's going to favor the, the guys who are, you know, specialists at the time trial. This is not, uh, this is not a Laplanche de Belphy time trial. This is a flat time trial. And, uh, we're going to see, yeah, the guys who tend to do very well in the time trials.
0: So La like, Gazetta, uh, the Italian sports daily is reporting that Roglic is not going to be there.
4: That is correct. So after winning a Olympic gold medal, as far as we know, according to La Gazzetta, but it hasn't officially been announced as of Monday when we are recording. Uh, no Roglic. Uh, he is apparently set to be replaced, again, according to La Gazzetta, by Tadej some guy, some other Slovenian guy, who is pretty good at time trials, by the way. Uh, so, interesting turn of events there. And apparently, back at, uh, at Tokyo, there was some talk. I mean, the, the, the Slovenian Federation, of course, had to make a decision between whether to start Roglic or Pogacar for the time trial there. Uh, and, you know, who knows how things would have gone if, if Roglic hadn't started and Pogacar had. But it, it is nice that that's kind of their, oh, we'll just we'll just throw a tight to Pogacar and see how that goes. Uh, he's going to have some stiff competition, as we've talked about. There's a lot of riders uh, over the past few weeks who have done quite well in these kind of tune-up races, one of them being van Art, uh, Remco Evenepoel. You've got uh, Philip Ogana. He wasn't that great at Euros, but... Yeah, Stefan Kung is there. So, yeah, we'll see. The, the start list isn't uh, fully formed yet because it's still several days out. But I, I think uh, it should be a good matchup. Mostly, though, the news right now about who's not going to go because of Roglic, apparently, according to reports. And Tom Dumoulin, who, if you guys missed it at, at home, uh, unfortunately will basically not be able to race for the rest of the season because he was out on a training ride reconning the course for his, I think it's his Tour de Dumoulin. It's his own race, his own event. And um, yeah, he got hit by well, a driver drove a car into him, or he collided with a car. We don't really know the details of how the collision happened. I I think he was turned into, I believe, is what happened, but I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I think I think that's what happened. Uh, Anyway, so he broke his wrist. He had surgery, and he's missing the rest of the season, which is a real bummer for Dumoulin, who had been targeting uh, both Worlds and Il Lombardia, and of course he can. A pretty good time trial can do Tom Dumoulin, former world time trial champ. So he won't be at the world's TT, which is, uh, yeah, that's a loss. Bummer. Who's going to win?
2: Stefan Kung. Brandon
4: McNulty.
0: <laughs> I'm hopeful. <laughs> Dane swinging for the home team here. There we go. <laughs> yeah.
4: But also, art. I'm
1: going to say Stefan Kung as well. But last time I said he was going to a, win a race, uh, I got quickly shouted that. Waters had broken. We had to go to a birth, didn't I? So, <laughs> you got another baby coming, Dave? <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. To. No, I'm going to stick with him. I'm going to stick with him for sure. But I'm just looking at the um, predicted predicted times it's going to take them to do the 43.3 kilometres, and it's 50 minutes, I reckon, which if you think about that and then put it in perspective to – uh. Like, the British time trial scene is massive. I don't know if people know this, but jump on the website if you don't and check out... uh, Joel Laverick wrote a piece about the British time trial scene. And you you get 10 and 25-mile time trials, which are the the main sort of staple of the time trial scene over there. And generally, if you're doing, like, sort of a 55-minute on a 25-mile time trial, that's going good. These guys, it's 27 miles if you convert it Doing it in 50 minutes. It just shows sort of the, the vast difference between the pros and uh, the, the very, very top of the tree in uh, amateur time trials. It's mind bending when you look at it like that.
0: So fast. It's Ridiculous. unbelievably fast. Yeah. Like just riding around at 50 plus kilometers an hour. It's just, it's obscene, is what it is. It should, it should be illegal. I think Stefan Kung is going to win. He's been so close to a lot of big wins. In the TTs wow. this
4: year and I, I can't believe
2: I can't believe of the four of us nobody said Ghana that's kind of wild
4: he's been kind of inconsistent I mean there yeah. have been times where he's just dominated and there have been times where he's kind of not done that so it's hard for me to really get behind his chances if, if
0: it was a if it was a you know 20k TT I, I think that he's he's a more of a shoe-in for those mm. maybe it's the pursuit background I don't know Uh, but yeah, I mean a longer, you know, a a 50 minute time trial. I think Kung has shown that he has the ability to do that. It's not that, not that Ghana can't, I think he's still pretty heavy favorite. I think I'm mostly saying Kung is is part, partly a heart pick because I do feel like he's been, he's been second and third a lot this year. And I I would like to see him take the rainbow bands in the TT. Let's head over to the women's race on Monday. Abby, what are we looking at?
2: Yeah. Also very, very flat. It's got 54 meters of vertical gain, so it's flat. It's 30.3 kilometers long and um, pretty, I mean, similar to the men's on the coast. So wind could play a role. It favors uh, the pure time trial specialists. So I think we're looking at, I mean, for me, there's really only one pick uh, for this one. I think Marlin Rusa's kind of proved that she's hit the end of the season with some incredible form and because it's it's so flat and um and if wind is a factor, uh, Anemic Van Bluten the only person who I see really challenging Rusa, I I don't uh don't know how she's going to go when it's that kind of a course, but I mean it, it is meek so you never really know. But yeah, going to be going to be an interesting one.
4: What about Van Dyke after the uh, really strong all-around performance at Euros and, and the fact that she's obviously been up there before?
2: Yeah, for, first in the road race at Euros and second in the time trial. So um, Ellen Van Dyke is a is a really good shot to win as well. It, it, it'll it be interesting to see who the Dutch chooses uh, to race n- alongside Van Vluten if they're going to take Ellen Van Dyke or Van de Bregen. Um, given that Van der Bregen's not been riding super well recently, and and didn't race the european championships and ellen van dyke was second in the european tt and, and obviously won the road race so um will they pick the defending champ or the rider who's currently showing some good form that's kind of that'll be interesting to see closer to the race we also get to see uh the olympic champion ana Offer, who raced the europeans as well um but She'll she'll be there. That'll be interesting.
0: All right. That's it for our little mini Worlds time trial preview. Let's get into today's Nerd Nuggets. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. All right, James. Nerd alert. alert. 105 DI2. What's going on here?
3: Well, uh, as... Probably everyone listening to this podcast is now aware. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Shimano introduced the next generation Dura Ace DI2 and Altegra DI2. And along with that news came the rather unpleasant revelation that Altegra Mechanical was being discontinued. And Uh. the reason, yeah, the reason for that being, however, is apparently no one is buying higher end mechanical road group sets anymore. I shouldn't say no one, but not nearly enough people to justify them continuing to exist. Uh, for financial reasons. So uh, Shimano has promised that or they've stated that current Altegra 11speed mechanical will be, will be will still be produced for another year, basically to satisfy OEM requirements and stuff. But that obviously begs the question what is going to replace it? And seeing as how there will not be another Altegra mechanical group, the only logical conclusion then is that there will finally be a 105 DI2 electronic group set.
0: Which would be pretty sweet, really, if it hits that same price point. If it hits that Altegra mechanical kind of price point, but has all the benefits of DI2. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, you, you know I'm a, I love a good mechanical group, right? Like all of my personal bikes have mechanical groups on them. Uh, but I, I think that that's a, pretty, that's a pretty good trade-off. A 105 DI2 is a pretty good trade-off because it's just going to be a bit heavier, but will functionally be identical to the other DI2 groups. We know this from the past. They all pretty much are. that, it, that that's hard to argue against from a, from an actual performance standpoint. You know what? Add 150, 200 grams probably, but have it otherwise be completely identical to Altegra DI two or even Durace DI two.
3: Yeah, and to be clear, I haven't approached Shimano about this. They haven't said anything about it. They they you know I haven't bothered to ask them mainly because I know they're not going to say anything about it. Um, We're always working.
0: What, what's the line? We're always working on new improvements i yes i I don't
3: know it's the same thing over and over again but anyway yeah but but like i said it is the only logical conclusion unless they were to introduce unless they were to say like grx 800 is going to be our new do everything mechanical groups it just doesn't make sense people have been clamoring for 105 di2 for you know almost since dura ace di2 came out in what 2008 or something like that and now that SRAM has Rival Access and looking at how popular that has been, um, I mean, this isn't, shump- this isn't something that Shimano can just sort of develop you know, like like magic, uh, just on a whim. So surely they've been working on this for a while, I would have to think. But given the success of Rival Access in the marketplace, I would only think that 105DI2 would be a huge runaway success as well.
1: I, I'd i be sad about it. see yeah, it's definitely going to come at some point in it, but... It just means it's another, another kick in the teeth for people who do like mechanical group sets. And it's a case of like, if the personally, I would like to see a plough all their know how into making one, the 105 mechanical better than it is now. Basically, having that as the top tier or only tier once they kind of get rid of the jaw race mechanical 11 speed and having that just as their mechanical group set. If you want mechanical group set, this is the one you go for.
3: I agree with you, Shabby. I agree with you. But the the fact of the matter is I've talked to a whole bunch of product managers over the last year or two even, and essentially the answer always comes back the same. Whenever people have been given a choice at a given price point of mechanical versus electronic shifting, it almost doesn't matter what the weight penalty is. They will go with the electronic shifting because when you go on a test ride, I mean, it, it it has that same wow factor every time someone uses it for the first time, or even not for the first time. I mean, it does work better. It just does, and that's and that's evident even when the stuff is perfect and brand new. And then you add in a couple thousand kilometers to that, and you have like this kind of grungy cable and housing that someone maybe hasn't replaced like they should, and and that gap is going to go going to grow even bigger. And people are just used to electronic stuff in their everyday consumer goods. They are used to just things being wireless. I'm assuming that 105DI2 would use the same uh, semi-wireless or wireless format that, that Dura-Ace and Ultegra use. And it it just makes sense from a consumer standpoint. I, I would certainly miss mechanical stuff as well. Um, but then again, I also prefer manual transmissions in cars. And as I'm looking for... A used car right now with a manual transmission that I actually like. Uh, let me tell you that they are not in plentiful; disu- they're not in plentiful supply here in the US.
1: The the only thing I can s- sort of see happening though, it just surely it's going to mean that that budget mid-range bikes are going to jump up in price because there's not a cat in the chance they're going to be able to make a, an electronic group set one o five for the same price as they can a mechanical one. So it just means if you if you're starting out. And wanting a better than uh, I don't know a thousand euro, twelve hundred euro bike, you you're gonna have to stump for two thousand at least to get something of that isn't gonna have Tiagra, Tiagra or Claris group set on there.
3: Yeah, I mean, in fairness to Shimano, the the current Tiagra stuff is really good. Um, and this is actually a video that we shot when we were doing the field test, uh, video shooting, uh, what like a week and a half ago now. Sort of the discussion that road cycling does seem to be just becoming a progressively more kind of premium and expensive sport, as opposed to the industry trying to appeal to to kind of more of the mass market. I don't really see that happening, and that's not really that, that clearly that, that doesn't seem to be where where the bike industry is is focusing its efforts. And whether or not that is a smart long term play, I don't think it really matters. They don't really seem to care. Sora
0: Di two. When's Sora Di two coming? I want a little thumb sh- Sora still have the thumb shifter?
3: I haven't been on
2: a no, Sora bike. Oh no,
3: Sora does not, but I think Claris oh. does.
0: Claris has a thumb shifter now? I okay. think so. I can't remember. My first road bike had Sora. I, first r- bike race I ever did I did on a bike with my Sora. My first road great. bike had down tube shifters with Shimano Light Action. <laughs> That's because you are experienced,
3: James. Yes, that otherwise means old.
1: i've just been informed by my dad the other night my mum and my dad that somehow my dad has managed to get my first road bike back into well back into his shop Um, it's been sat in somebody's garage collecting dust for god knows how many years and that had shimano rsx on it with uh, downtube shifters as well
0: i think you should go ride it again it's probably a little small
1: it's going to be a restoration project. I can't wait to throw my leg over it again. I just hope it's still got the same black and yellow paint job that it did back then.
0: <laughs> that reminds me. I I brought home mosaic one this weekend. Yep. It it seems to be in perfectly good condition. Totally fine. Definitely sat inside for a while for, for anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about. My, my mosaic travel bike was stolen. Was it three years ago ish, just under three years ago. Uh, I've since replaced it because it was stolen and I figured it was never coming back but uh then it was found chained to a fence near my old house in Boulder like within a half mile of my old house in Boulder
3: very conspicuously
0: uh, like it it's not like it was sitting there for 3 years right it's somebody had put it there that morning and and because it's Boulder and because it's my bike uh I was I was made aware of that within about 2 hours and uh Aaron Barchek who built that bike actually went over and grabbed it, brought it to the Mosaic headquarters, which is right near there as well. Uh, and now it's back, so I have my bike that was stolen, my Mosaic travel bike that was stolen, is back. And I, much like Shoddy, cannot wait to throw a leg over it again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out how to build that thing back up and get it rolling. And now I've got two SNS, coupled titanium <laughs> Mosaic travel bikes. Well, Kelly, I think clearly what you should with do with seat mass, so I can't, like, I can't. One with seat mask and two with my name polished into them so I can't even sell them.
3: <laughs> well, I think what you need to do is I think you need to test the precision of Aaron Barcek's handiwork by mixing and matching the, the various pieces to see if the alignment is still perfect. Like put the seat mask on, from one onto the other one, like swap the, swap the front and back ends, see if they all line up. Uh, I made some small geometry tweaks on, on round two, though. That's the problem. Mm. Well, maybe, yeah. if the, maybe if you put the new front with the, with the old rear, you can kind of get like a hybrid of the two. Ooh, I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, sh- it, should be- it should be almost identical. I just
0: I played with like a little bit of head tube angle and chainstay length. So,
3: yeah. Uh, I, I, can, I can hear Aaron right now if he's listening to this podcast. He's just saying, no, don't no, do it. No, no don't no. do it. <laughs> yep. I'm, anyway, I'm just
1: Googling Kaylee Fretz. so I'm just Googling Kaylee Fretz now to see if there's another Kaylee Fretz out there you could sell the bike to. And believe it or not, <laughs> At the bottom of Google, it says Related Searches, Kayleigh Fretz, Mosaic.
3: <laughs> Excellent. Yep. Excellent.
0: It, this bike is famous. I mean, that's why I, I kind of always thought it might come back to me. One, because it has my name polish in it. And two, because like there are enough people out there who have seen this bike that if it popped up anywhere, I was going to hear about it quickly. Right. Which turned out to be true. And it did. And I'm just very excited about it. So, Shoddy, much like you. An old, an old, uh, an old love, an old bike is back. Now we just have to build it up, and it seems to be in great shape. I may even just leave the cranks on there. The one, the cranks they were unable to take the cranks off because they couldn't figure out that the bolt was reverse threaded.
3: Well, it's probably better that you may want that you may leave those cranks on there because my guess is that it because that bolt is reverse threaded and titanium that it is probably now so incredibly, incredibly tight. <laughs> from someone trying to get it off that you're likely never getting it off again. I think it's probably going to be cut off at
0: some point is probably what's going to end up happening. Yeah. Good we'll luck see. with that. We'll anyway, see.
3: anyway, back to 105DI2. Again, as I said, Shimano hasn't confirmed anything. I haven't bothered to ask. Uh, but there will be a written article on cyclingtips.com that will likely be live by the time you listen to this podcast. So go check it out. Let me know what you think.
0: Go check it out. All right we're gonna wrap up for today again next week we'll be chatting more about worlds and then a couple of us are headed to the world championships that week i'm flying over assuming that belgium is still allowing americans in at that point uh you're coming up abby you're coming up and we're gonna be doing a little extra worlds podcast and sounds like an extra worlds nerd alert podcast which will be fun and we're sticking around through Roubaix. So the first ever women's Paris-Roubaix and, what, the 100th men's Paris-Roubaix? I don't oh, know. I don't dear know, God. Please 103. To be something like that. Another men's Paris-Roubaix. We'll be sticking around through that. So lots of cool on-the-ground podcasts coming your way in the next few weeks. All right. Thanks for coming along with us, everybody. Thanks for listening. Let us know if you have any feedback. Give us a rating. Share this podcast with a good friend. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.